0: I'm Mark Sidwell, and welcome to Between the Lines, a new show about books and the people they inspire. Joining me today to discuss five books that matter to him is the author and journalist Michael Collins. Michael has also worked as a TV producer and a scriptwriter, and he recently made a heresies documentary for the New Culture Forum, White Privilege, the Demonization of the White Working Class. He's also written an acclaimed biography of the white working class, The Likes of Us. Michael, Thank you so much for joining me today. You've brought in uh, a fantastic uh, pile of books and I can't wait to discuss them with you and why, why these matter to you. Um, but let's, let's start by talking about how the world of books entered your life. Uh, were your parents readers? Did you have books around when you were young?
1: No, not at all. I mean, I was, um, it was pop, music, film and telly mm-hmm. for me. Um, if there were books in the home, there were boxing books, football books. My dad had a couple of books about the Craze and Jack the Ripper, oh, yeah. and that's the best it got. Um, I am um, really didn't start reading until properly until I was twenty, because as I said, it was it was really pop music for me, um, and uh, I can't even remember really attempting books at school. There were two books in the school library that struck me. One of one of which is Up the Junction, and um, the other one was a book called. Go ask Alice by Anonymous, which was um, uh, the diary of a drug addict, yeah. and that it was that kind of thing that drew you attention because that was about drugs. Up the Junction there was um, an a, there was a, there was an abortion story in it. So suddenly the you know the kids were interested in that, and that's how I got this Up the Junction really, the, oh, yeah. and this is the this is the pam- paperback. This is the original, and um, why it was important to me and why I remember it is because it was. A London-based novel, Nell Dunn, the the writer was grand. She was um, she was the the daughter of a, a baronet, and she left the Chelsea set. She moved across the river, sort of slumming it in Battersea, and then she wrote these vignettes of um, life among the working classes of Battersea uh, between sort of 1959 and the early sixties, um, and it, and it's brilliant stuff because she's doing it. As an observer, she's not she's not um, grafting it onto any kind of political agenda, and so she's just reporting in a really simple, economical way the lives of these people in their kind of voices as well, which 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 really struck something. It struck me in a, in a big way of that because I I just you'd see that on television, but you suddenly find it in the book. You recognise these voices, you recognise the language, and you recognise the characters. I mean, the one the one thing I'd say about the Junction is. She, it is it is big on the the abortions and the old, mm-hmm. you know... Backstreet hus- abortions and sort of yeah.
0: being flushed down the toilet the famous <laughs> story. Exactly.
1: From it. And the husbands were always, you know, the the, the women were kind of um, put upon, the husbands were always bruises. And um, there was another side to the working class, and there was a yeah. kind of more of a decorum, and it wasn't that dramatic, which is kind of absent from this in a way. But it's I think it's a really important book, and it's just... Um, as i said it's an important book because she does it in quite a, um, a dispassionate way she does it as an observer um, just reporting on these lives at that particular time and also you know the factory the market the pub But because they're a younger generation and it's the beginning of the 60s they're beginning to really um discover pop music mm-hmm. and fashion there's there's not really money but they're connecting to a more um, a, a culture that is is a wider experience than maybe their parents had so yeah up the junction really um still a good book and also ken lodge did the um did the the uh, the bbc play up the junction yeah. and um i interviewed him way back in the 90s um for a documentary about Carol White, who played one of the characters, and he said when they made it, they were literally just pulling pages out of the book. Uh-huh. There was no script.
0: Well, there's so much dialogue in it, right? Yeah, it's really and, and, and it was like just these, there
1: was there was no plot. There was no. It was just these little, you know, outtakes from these lives. Mm. And and her next book, Up uh, Poor Cow, which which Loach did on on film again with Carol White. It was actually filmed um, in this estate, these tenements, condemned tenements, called the Palatinate, which was literally st- two streets from where I grew up. So there's this there's this strange connection with me and and these these books, and they've stayed with me for a long time. Um, and and still, you know, still quite an important little document, I think, up yeah, the junction. So. Do,
0: you, do you think it was coloured by the fact that it was someone so grand that had to write?
1: A, yeah, a, yeah, an
0: extraordinary thing to have done to come from that sort of Chelsea, yeah, Earl background to to do it, but. She, she could only perhaps see things in, in one way? Or
1: Well, I think there's, there's, I wrote about this in the likes of us, there's this history of these people, they're kind of almost like missionaries. They go mm. in, they're grand, they go in and they, they look for the darker side, or if it's about politics, they'll try and find, you know, the worst kind of example of working class existence and attach it to some kind of political agenda. But I think in some ways, I, 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 don't, I don't know that many... I don't know many working-class writers that, that produce books like this. I mean, there probably are, and I think, but there's always been this tradition of of the grander, um, you know, upper class or upper middle-class people going in and suddenly documenting this. And what I think is good, as I said, is she does it in such a way that the, the vernacular, you yeah. know, the, the way she she picks up on the phrases, the London phrases. Um, Henry Green did something way back. I mean, he did. Uh, um, he did this book called Living, where he, he tried to write the whole book in the vernacular of, of the characters. This was in, I can't remember where it was, it wasn't, it was, um, I don't think it was the North, but it, mm-hmm. wasn't, it was, wasn't London, but it do, it's really hard to read. So I think what is really good, she does it so economically yeah. that she's just, there's no narrator. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's almost like she's written so simply um, and reported it so simply. Um, and, and they're really great. They're just these self-contained little vignettes of just factory life. Um, you know, these girls going to the pub, the the things they experience. So yeah, up yeah, to it sort of
0: brings it into the sort of the, the cultural world where people are paying attention to this. Yeah. this and something that you could recognise, but that actually people start to think this was real and it's like part of life that's just being yeah. ignored in some ways for a long time.
1: Well, well, it's, well and also, is is it's it's kind of um, it predates a lot of the. the, the BBC stuff like the Wednesday Plan, mm. all those things, which, which this whole kitchen sink, um, you know, approach became much more evident, you know, right. uh, be- right. on screen. There, she was friends, I think, with John Bratby, the um, the painter that did those things like still life, mm-hmm. you know, and had fish and chips and a wardrobe or something. And I think she does the equivalent. here. Yeah, these are little, these, these are just fantastic little sketches of yeah. working class. London life. And I think it's interesting now because, you know, class is still an issue. It's kind of almost been redefined. Um, there's, a, there's a number of people I noticed on Twitter that are suddenly just saying that class isn't where you start or where you who your parents were or, you know, what they did for a living. It's almost like they're trying to redefine it, but they are the ones that have gone to the private school and, you know what I mean, right. it's like, it's, it, it's this sort of mad thing that's going on. I was going to say that's the other thing with, I think, these books, yeah. they are... I wouldn't say they're my favourite books entirely, but they are important because I think they, they touch on themes and issues and trends that are still so current now, even though these, these are ancient books. Mm. I mean, this is 1963, so up the junction.
0: <laughs> well, let's, let's move on to a very different part of the sort of English class <laughs> oh, yeah. system with, with uh, Virginia Woolf's Mrs Dalloway. This is a very well-loved copy uh, you brought in here. <laughs> Classic <laughs> modernist novel. This is
1: incredible. It's, it's 40 years old, this copy, and you can see in it, I've got, it's the old Granada paperback, and I've got the um, bits where I've marked it, because I've tried to work out over the years what she was actually doing. I really like slim books. I like slim books. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I like, you know, modernist writers. I Beckett, Elliot, Virginia Woolf are the, are the go-to writers for me. I don't really like the big Plot-driven books at all. Was
0: this in your twenties? You were yeah, something that like you were starting to read. Okay, yeah, sort of got one of the first
1: late. novels. I really liked female writers at the time. Uh-huh. Doris Lessing, I was a huge fan of. I think I think Wolf's really interesting because her and before her, Catherine Mansfield and uh, Dorothy Richardson, they were trying to write a different kind of novel that, that became this stream of consciousness consciousness type of uh, a book where it isn't without plot and it's it's just about this, this is the life in the day of one woman going around a very grand woman married mm. to a conservative conservative minister living in Westminster it's just the day in her life she goes to the florist she bump uh, she's visited by an ex-lover and it's just the you know it's what it, Wolford really she'd got her style by this point mm. I think Jacob's room and some of the short fiction there were hints at it but this is where she really finds her feet and um so, so it's just the, the thoughts that go through a, through the day the memories that come back um, and the story you know the incidental things happen d- written in such a poetic beautiful brilliant way that um, you know it's it, an extraordinary it, it's an extraordinary way of it changed well it changed novel writing but yeah. I think it's an extraordinary um, way of, t- of, of telling a really simple story to, to keep you gripped without any plot or any anything dramatic you know she literally buys flowers no bombs go off no one's kidnapped yeah you
0: know. but, but it's haunted too by that that sort of sense of melancholy you know this yeah. is this is england high society after the first world exactly. war she's yeah. looking back to that that childhood she has just sort of an yeah. ideal but there's this other uh, young man Septimus, who's been in, yeah. in the trenches and is traumatized deeply by that, yeah. you get the sense that it's a beautiful world, but there's sort of dark things under the surface, or yeah. like, a world that's been lost somewhere.
1: Well, that's the, the Septimus thing is interesting because, of course, there's a suicide, hit. but the yeah. I, I think the um, I think I think the thing about that is the characters I don't really like. They're, they're grand you know they <laughs> posh they're rich um, and she's got a very leisurely lifestyle I almost wish there was someone that had written in the way that Wolf wrote about these characters these characters right, right. I, I, w- I wish there was someone that could write about you know the working people in this way um, where you know it's quite poetic and it's uh, it just gives them a lot more than you know mm-hmm. as we said the mm-hmm. The you know the the abortions and the um, dodgy husbands, but I think um, I think it's style. I think I think it's uh, Virginia Woolf style that really interests me. And I think
0: did you take anything from it? You know, as you've sort of been a storyteller in your own career, is it sort of something you've learned from?
1: Only only the, the way uh, the economy of it, because mm. she will actually give you two sentences, and that sums up a life, or that sums up yeah. a passing character, and you return to it, and you always even a th- a slim book like this, you return to it, and you you just find things that you, you didn't know that were there just because one line gives a clue to someone's history or someone's story. I think the other reason this this is relevant now is because, as I said, these female writers were doing a different... I mean, Ulysses is, is the life in a day, but there's so yeah. much fat on it. You know, this is just so slimmed down. And I think she, um, her, you know, Catherine Mansfield, Dorothy Richardson, they were doing it, they had a different sort of take. It was, a, it was considered a sort of feminine fiction. And we're we're having this now because so many female writers, you know, are prominent now. And mm. we've had this thing in recent years where the, the novel is apparently changed, and female writers are leading this by writing a autofiction, you know, and novels that are not particularly um, led by plot, and they're much more personal. But I find they're just the equivalent of the Hampstead novel because a lot of these women are writers that they're writing about they usually live in a house that's been refurbished and that's the story right. you know what i mean yeah yeah i think if you're going to go for that if you're going to go for the you know the plotless you know female fiction if you're going to call it that mm-hmm. I'd, I'd go to wharf i really would I, I wouldn't bother with all the modern stuff
0: yeah and, and of course Today, there's a lot of talk about, oh well, novels have to sort of be about your own experience mm, or people are being yeah. kept in their boxes about what they can write about, or even what to some extent they're supposed to be able to understand mm. if they read about it. So it's, it's interesting, well, as you say, be. that you- she, she was
1: doing that. Well, I but mean, for she, you, I meant as a yeah, reader, you know, yeah. sort of
0: working class background and a man, but this, the, the power of this book speaking to you mm. across all the years yeah. and the class gap and- Well, that's because gap. it's
1: style, I think, mm. more than the, I mean, another thing is it does, both the, the, Up the Junction and Mrs. Dalloway are very different times. They tell a very st- good story of London yeah. at different times yeah. as well. So that's the backdrop, and that's the other thing that's, that's, that's interesting to me. They, they walk through similar streets. Yeah. You
0: know. Well, well let, let's uh, turn to someone who's uh, American and from a yeah. very different uh, area and, and era, because this is, we're now going to the 1970s, I guess, with yeah. Tom Wolfe and his essays, his extraordinary new journalism essays um, yeah. in mauve gloves and madmen which is, I think probably came out about about the time I was born.
1: I was about to say, 1976. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think it was 1976. This particular mm-hmm. essay, The Me Decade, I really like the new journalism of the 60s. And when you say about books that have influenced you, or writers that have influenced you, mm-hmm. influenced me, I, I loved the, the scope of journalism the, uh, around about the mid-70s in America, particularly New York Magazine. You yeah. can't quite ima- believe when you see New York Magazine now that they used to have people like Tom Wolfe, Jimmy Breslin, uh, Jimmy Risen was on, was, on, mm-hmm. was on the um, on the broadsheets, but they... Um,
0: oh, it was a golden age for magazines of all kinds in of the 1970s. Extraordinary work coming up. And,
1: and the way they'd been given the opportunity to write these essays where they'd bring in all the techniques of fiction, mm-hmm. you know, to yeah. tell a completely different yeah, story. Yeah, because Tom
0: Wolfe's style is very, and of course, then he went on to write some fabulous novels.
1: Oh yeah, um, but I they're very the literary,
0: journalism. even in the in the in the essays.
1: I actually prefer the journalism of, of Wolfe because I think I do with Warhol as well. I think um, I think it's just the scope and the nerve. Because the other thing that's interesting, it's like with Elliot or you know. I really like it when you have these people that are quite conservative thinkers or have quite a conservative outlook, but their approach to their subject is quite avant-garde. Yeah. And so Wolf has this kind of very Southern, you know, uh, dandified kind of mm-hmm. look going on. And he's, you know, you never, he never really completely gives, gives away what his politics are, but you can sort of hazard a guess. But his style is so completely wild and, and mad and out there yeah. you well, know the,
0: so tell us a bit about this, yeah, this well, particular the, essay the, i
1: think so many i think so
0: this is the, sorry this is the me, me decade, decade
1: in the great awakening yeah. um i i think his essays again chime with so many things now but this was a really interesting one because he basically talks about After the after the war, he says money came into America in such a way that there was no longer such a thing you couldn't really talk in terms of the proletariat Mm -hmm. because the lower middle classes had pulled in the working class and they were kind of quite despised by, I suppose, the educated, uh, wealthy liberals who, because they Mm -hmm. wore the wrong clothes, they had the wrong taste, and they wanted to move to the suburbs. They didn't want to live in worker housing or Bauhaus type housing and so he talks very much about how this creates this idea of a me generation that let's talk about me mm. and he and he talks of he defines a lower middle class now that have chosen individualism rather than communitarianism and they've so they've moved to the suburbs the parents have moved to retirement homes whereas all the kind of um uh the casualties from the 60s so the the um the politicos all the all those that followed the sort of pseudo spiritual um, cults they're now in the 70s slightly lost so they've moved to um, primal therapy or s meetings where they're actually trying to um, talk about themselves mm. by the way of their problems or their issues and it begins i mean at these meetings he talks about they're trying to deal with things to do with whatever happened to them as a kid or their sexuality, or whatever. But he said it gets to such an extreme thing that there's a, it begins with this woman who just talked about her haemorrhoids. And I think I think this this is the third great awakening. I think we're now in the fourth great awakening mm-hmm. because if you, if you look at this and where we are now, on the business of, instead of let's talk about me, we've got someone like Oprah Winfrey talking about your truth, you know, where everything is about how you perceive something how you whatever you project onto something or how you interpret it that that is the authentic that is the one take yeah,
0: yeah. well i was i was fascinated too yeah. because i was rereading this obviously for for this conversation and how contemporary it felt mm. to me this is literally something that was published when i was born mm. uh, but i read it now and i think uh, this this feels very familiar this this yeah. world of people being fascinated with themselves and uh, the uh, Meghan Markle on Oprah Winfrey and <laughs> so forth, say. but of course the fact that it's not just for the princesses and yes, everybody, yes. but it's also sort of down in, in lower middle class life or ordinary that life. Is everyone no, that is really that.
1: interesting because of course he says this was yeah. a pastime or a hobby for the aristocrats mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and by this time it's worked its way down and of course this has happened now, I mean you look at you look at Markle and you, and, you know she's a classic example um, And the, but, but not just that, I mean if you talk about the issue of pronouns, people defining themselves by one particular thing i mean that that's what i love about wolf wolf says this line she says we are never simply one thing Mm. but i mean we live in a a a time now where everyone wants to attach themselves to being one specific thing whether it's about people's pronouns or whether it's this the way the remit of mental health has widened so even if you're not part of a protected group you can probably get day release in being bipolar Mm. or you know or personality disorder what it was called and I think that that is so much where we are now uh, we, are, we are in a kind of version of the me decade now and interestingly enough I mean that you could say that arguably money is poured into society into into uh, the UK uh, over the last 30 years in the way it probably did in America in those right, post-war right. And, years and we've,
0: we've got the snobbery in the same way about exactly. something like Brexit exactly. about the, the exactly. sort of watch, exactly. listen to Andrew Adonis or someone going on about <laughs> sort of the miserable poor voted for uh, well that right. that is
1: I see I find that really interesting because whenever I've written about uh, the working class and I hate going on about it because I feel like some I do feel like a boy band whoring around their one hit sometimes <laughs> with my book but what what does interest me is I don't think I think I think the missed opportunity with British literature in the post war years is the absence of the suburban novel mm. you know mm. I'm never actually writing about that All that material of of the work that that he refers to, Wolf refers to, the working class that moved out of the capital, that moved out to the city. You know, it's it's my subject. It interests me so much, and um, no one covers it except they denigrate it. Because yeah, they so don't know about it, and I remember Martin Amos, I think it was Martin Amis once said, "No one has written about the suburbs because they'd have to live there," and, it, and it's that snobbery. It's because you... someone
0: will go to Battersea because it's trendy, <laughs> yeah, and down and yeah. difficult. They and, and it's a
1: bit like we need you. you almost needed someone, even it was if, as an are done. You needed someone to go to the Donut Ring of London and beyond. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm and report on those lives and those experiences of of the people that had moved out.
0: Well, I mean, it it brings to mind the the sitcom Keeping Up Appearances, which of course is about someone who's trying to escape a sort of embarrassing sort of background, but is also being sort of sneered at for the the way that she tries to sort of put on these middle class airs that she can't really live up to. Bucket bouquet and all of that.
1: I think she's kind of old school. If you look at something like, uh, um, what's that? Gavin and Stacey. Yeah,
0: right.
1: It's that idea. Mm. I mean, I don't think that particularly does it well, but I mean, I, I just think that that is, you know, Sheena Mackay did it to some extent in Essex I think but mm. with an Essex novel but I think it is, it's a missed opportunity you know there's no there's this because the, this is a majority of the people in this country and that that's right, right. the that thing we, we we're talking told. about worlds that don't yeah. get
0: their stories told yeah exactly yeah,
1: yeah, no, exactly and I, I, I think that's true I think that is a real missed opportunity mm. because no one's actually seriously looked at that within literature and, it, and so as I was saying about this auto fiction you know we've had the app Hampstead novel we've now got this Auto fiction, which covers similar territory, you know, but, um, there, you know, it, there's a great opportunity there. There's, yeah, there's people a,
0: step out beyond their, yeah, their boundaries. Yeah. Well, let, well, let's zoom back in time and place to uh, Charles Masterman's The Condition of England. This yeah. is what, 1909, a yeah. liberal MP writing yeah. about working-class conditions in industrial London and and the problems of that yeah or why um, does this speak to you or why, why does this still speak well, to now this is an old oldish book now probably the is. oldest book you've got here
1: this is and this is a terrible cover I think <laughs> this is a print-on-demand one I've had, I, I lost my original but again this this is um non-fiction but Masterman really interesting he was liberal minister um politically probably somewhere between Sydney Webb and Samuel Smiles. so he was kind of um he was for the, the role of the state was an important thing, but he was very much in term. He was very much for defending sort of self determination yeah. and yeah. self help to some degree. So he um, he he moved to London and he moved to Campbell and he went to work as a the settlement Cambridge settlement in, mm. and lived in, um, among the you know the locals in uh, at that end of the end of the nineteenth century in Campbell and all this. Um, he began to document this in essays and books. Um, and then the, the most familiar one, the most famous one was The Condition of England, mm. which he wrote at the time he was in a Liberal Minister in that, yeah. in that government that, that brought in all the reforms. How did
0: this come to into your life?
1: Well, bizarrely, um, I uh, worked for a think tank in the 2000s and set ah. up a supplementary school at Cambridge House right. where Masterman, worked mm-hmm. and i knew he'd worked there and that's the reason i chose it and i got hooked be- just like, just before that uh because of, i knew the territory because mm-hmm. i knew Cabo, i knew i knew that area very well why, why this is a really interesting book and a really important book is because he he begin the first the first line of it is um what will the future make of the present and he looks at this um two things he looks at a city he's obsessed with the city especially the capital um, the modern city that's been formed in the wake of industrialization and the city tribe, the city tribe that is peculiar to that mm. new modern city, and how they live, and what they do, and, and that the idea that there's a white Israeli thing of two nations, you know. Um, but what he, what he does with this book is he says, what is England and where does it reside? And why he asked that question at that time is because he says at one time you knew where England was. It was pastoral it was the countryside mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. agriculture it's now been so urbanized where do we now find England it's the question that all right. would ask years later um, and so he addresses this by taking apart English society and he separates it into the conquerors mm-hmm. the multitude um and various and the suburbans in the suburbanites and various so he he, he addresses it in terms of various tribes. Mm-hmm. Now within there he says he says the suburbans are the old school, the high significator, you know. Uh, he
0: possibly doesn't have so much time as there, my got
1: the feeling. <laughs> well he he's got the snobbery about the, yeah. the, he's got the snobbery about the villas that the work yeah. as Wells did. He's got that snobbery about the um the people that moved to the walking suburbs or the prairie suburbs as they became. Um and he's um so, so he's got that sort of almost uh, liberal intellectual snobbery about him, And he says at one point, uh, the, uh, the upper classes on the rich look down on the suburbans. Mm-hmm. And the suburbans fear the working class because they fear socialism. Um, so, so he's kind of quite snobby about the, um, what's happening with, with the uh, people that, you know, burgeoning suburbia that's, that these people have been embracing at that time. But... He also talks about the idea of a working class that are beginning to, they've, they've not got, it's not, it's before universal suffrage, obviously, but they begin, they're a voice that's swelling mm. that will begin to want to be heard, you know. And he, he mentions this in relation to, obviously, he knew the web, so he talks in terms of trade unionism, the nascent Labour Party. Yeah. But um, again, he does it. In a way, uh, as I said about the, the Neil Dunn book, uh, you know, that idea of being doing it as an as an observer. So he's actually he's documenting it, he's reporting it, but he's not entirely putting his opinion or his take on it. He's trying to, it, and I think that's that's what makes it interesting. And um, you know, it very much chimes with with now because I mean, we we're going through we've gone through a change, technological change. We're going through a change in terms of asking in wake of Brexit, in the wake of all the shenanigans of the SNP, mm. the very idea of England is being talked about again. And what is England? Yeah. And where does it, reside? Where does you it know? reside? So these questions are still so relevant. And I, and I think it's a really, I think it's a really undervalued book. Um, I think it should be on the curriculum. I think it's also <laughs> worth
0: saying too, this might sound like the perhaps the, the driest of the books on the table, but it's often mm. quite poetic. It's a, it is. some lovely imagery. It's sort of the idea yeah. of industrial society as this dark windmill mm. turning under starless skies. Oh, that's a great line, yeah. yeah. Extraordinary. yeah. No,
1: he's a great, he, he's, he's, a, he's a really interesting uh, writer, but an interesting um, politician as well. I mean, he, he was an MP in the East End initially. Um, but the other thing he does is he, he's, he's, he's a bit of a poet i mean he brings in some fantastic references mm-hmm. um and very much something of the time he was very much uh in with uh as i said the webs um wells all those characters around him at the time yeah. that we're familiar with now i'm amazed that this book is never Mentioned, you know.
0: Well, it's one of those books that falls between stools, isn't it? People want to think about the past and socialism, or the past and I don't know, free market liberalism or uh, free trade in the late nineteenth century. But a liberal person like that, who's hmm. somewhere between the two, working on starting national insurance, concerned about the poor, but not actually wanting to take away their yeah, autonomy at the same e- exactly. time. Exactly, and that's exactly uh, is who he very was. complicated place.
1: Well, again, I think this 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 is the same thing that I like about the Neil Dunn thing. I mean, he actually moved into the area. Um, he was, uh, you know, he was a graduate, and he'd come down from Cambridge. He was a Christian, and mm. he, um, so it, it there was, it was a time of Charles Booth surveys, mm-hmm. um, Salvation Army, yeah. William Booth. So he was actually living in, a, in this place called Albany Buildings. Um, you know, when my family were living, just streets away. Again, bizarrely, but I, I'd love the idea of him again if he was the only voice that was going to go in and record that or document that and that was to mm. inspire him to bring this book then I'd rather him than no one else yep. you know what yeah. I mean so yeah. uh, so again with the Neil Dunn thing I think these figures are important because they did they did leave us with something that uh, documents a particular yeah. time that again uh, of people that that didn't have a voice within mm. literature
0: well let, let's turn to for the final book to a, a very different voice but it's also a, a yeah. voice that, that needed to be heard this is Ralph Ellison's classic invisible man yeah. now this is about the african-american experience in sort of mid 20th century America yeah but, uh, why does that um, speak to you or, or well, um, why did, where did you come across this contradicts everything I've just <laughs> said
1: because this is a really big book and it took him seven years to write this this is this is a, it's a great cover actually um, I, I first came across this, uh, again, about 40-odd years ago, and I started looking at just before, just before, bizarrely, just before the bricks and riots happened and all the rest of it, and then I sort of put it down. I was a bit, you know, I, I sort of was a bit overwhelmed. And so I, I came back to it a few years ago and finished it. Um, and I think Ellison's a really interesting... Um, I, not so, I don't think it's a great book. I just think it's a really important book because... You know, when you think about black American writers, men in particular, of that particular of that period, like you say, the middle of the mm. 20th century, you think of Baldwin, and Baldwin, James Baldwin has got that sort of six-to-hipster thing going. Richard Wright, much more graphic, much more political, probably mm. more, you know, kind of almost writing, you know, more documentary style. Ellison wrote this book, which is just simply about this... Um, young, educated, black American man who he never names but he writes in the first person. And everything that he goes through. I think I think the problem is it's, it's, it's he's always acted upon this character because he's almost like Candide or a kind of Kafka character. So yeah, it's a he's sort in of these,
0: picaresque where he yes, goes through all these so adventures he's in these and you see these situations. Yeah. That
1: happened to him. Um, but but what is interesting is is in the process um, and again, Ellison does that thing, which I, I love, and I've said these other in, in these other books. He's the dispassionate observer, even though he's the narrator. He's not imposing an agenda. He's just slightly. He's just reporting the, yeah. the things that happen. It's not a
0: social protest novel no, in the, in the way that people think. It's not Uncle Tom's Cabin exactly. saying we have got to end slavery. And that's of, been the
1: criticism. Yeah. That's why you know. That's why I said Richard Wright or James Baldwin get more a kind of respect in a way because they they think this is this is a criticism. Of Ellison. Mm. He wasn't. He, he didn't do that, he wasn't political enough with it, even though him and Wright were both- Yeah, and sometimes it's quite nuanced,
0: right? I mean, you get the, the sort of almost satire of the the, the black protest yeah, Exactly. And, or, was, or at least it observes their self-interest as yeah. much as it does the racism in the society. Well, and
1: not just them, this is this is why I find it a really interesting book, because they become like these archetypes. Mm. Because he's got the characters in there, he's got the, the sort of black nationalist character who is like pre-Black Panther, uh, like the BLM type characters mm. now. He's got the um, the posh, white, rich woman that is toying around with left-wing politics that objectifies the black man and wants to he's even indulge in a rape fantasy. You've got the kind of eyes-rolling, Rochester black characters that have to play the game. Yeah. And he comes across all these, and um, uh, the, these particular characters that sometimes they almost take on a sort of Dickensian filter, because I think that's where... I think the book's very, very, very melodramatic, there's a big coincidence isn't it? I don't think, you know, it is one of those big big books with a plot and he spent a long time writing it, but I think for me what's important is the, the way he documents characters and events that are still with us now. Uh, the relationship with the police, the riots, the looting that follows the riots. Everything is with us now and we've witnessed it in the last year or so, Mm. you know, especially in America with Black Lives Matter, which is, which seems like pure theater in relation to when he was writing a very complex time, you know, a a bleak time uh, when people were, you know, laying their lives on the line because, you know, they wanted change, they had conviction, which completely contradicts, I think, which is completely opposite of where we are now after so many decade and so much change. And so I think a lot of people could go back to this novel and and probably uh, see that these characters that are with us now, whether it's race baiters or the grifters that are around us now, and find them within this.
0: Mm, it reminded me a bit too of one of the Tom Wolfe's uh, novels, Bonfire of the Vanities, which oh, yeah. has some of that in... Uh, Absolutely, Sherma McCoy. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, but it's fascinating these these resonances in these books, which are really from decades ago, but they they, they give us these new lenses to see things that are going on right now.
1: And I think that's probably more true about mm. Alison than anyone else. I mean, I think I think if you look at where we've been with all the BLM stuff over the last year or so, and you think it's 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 all here, you know, mm. decades earlier in a different time, and you are just you know you are. You're playing a game. You're you're going through this whole uh, farce, you know, that that seems kind of madness in relation to um, these these characters and these events at this particular time, when it was a very different society. You know, some of these battles have been won, and you're just um, prolonging them or or recreating them.
0: Recreating them. Well, fantastic. Thank you. That's been great to run through those books. That's um, almost all we have time for today, but. Thank you to my guest, Michael Collins, for sharing these books with us. Uh, You can find his book, the likes of us, on Amazon and elsewhere, and you can watch his documentary, White Privilege, The Demonization of the White Working Class, right here on YouTube. Uh, Do please uh, click below to subscribe if you haven't already, and as ever, let us know what you think in the comments, and perhaps share the books that matter to you as well. Finally, though, just to close out, Michael's agreed to read us a quote from um, one of the books, from Masterman, I think.
1: Yeah, Condition of England, um, which I've edited. <laughs> Is that bad of me? I'm editing Charles Masterman.
0: Lightly uh, editing.
1: Yeah, well, he's basically, uh, in this particular early part of the book, it's called The Spirit of the People, and he's basically saying, if you look at the character or the um, what defines the character of England um, at the time of writing, it's 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 uh that of the middle classes it's the outlook of, of the old school middle classes and he said but there are there are other voices which he talks about the multitude Where now we could still talk about this mm. We talk about the 80 percent um and i think a lot of this chimes now in what's happened with how we talk about post-brexit england um how we talk about people being censored and not having a voice it's it's all relevant so so this is how he begins and below this large kingdom which for more than half a century has stood for England, stretches a huge and unexplored region which seems destined in the next half century to progress towards articulate voice and to demand an increase in power. It is the class of which Matthew Arnold, with the agreeable insolence of his habitual attitude, declared himself to be the discoverer and to which he gave the name of the populace. To most observers from the classes above, this is the deluge, and its attainment of power, if such attainment ever were realised, the coming of the twilight of the gods. They see our civilization as a little patch of redeemed land in the wilderness, preserved as by a miracle from one decade to another. They behold the influx as the rush of a bank holiday crowd upon some tranquil garden, tearing up the flowers by the roots, reeling in drunken merriment on the grass plots strewing the pleasant landscape with torn paper and broken bottles. It's a class full of sentiment which the foreigner is apt to condemn as sentimentality. Next to this sentimentality, so astonishing to Europe because so irrational, comes the invincible patience of the English workman. He will endure almost anything in silence until it becomes unendurable. When he is vocal, it is pretty certain that things have become unendurable. And this is England, an England which has learnt more than all other peoples the secret of acquiescence, of toleration, of settling down and making the best of things, in a world on the whole desirable, but an England also of a determination unshaken by the vicissitudes of purpose and time, with a certain ruthlessness about the means when it has accepted the end, and with a patience which is perhaps more terrible in its silence than the violence of a conspicuous despair." Read, read in my best head girl voice, i feel <laughs>
0: That's wonderful. <laughs> Michael Collins, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been Between the Lines.